Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 119 of the Freight 360 podcast. Ben, how you doing this morning, man? Doing very well. We're approaching the end of the year here. Um, we were going to have Trey Griggs on today. He ended up having to drop off just before, so we'll get him on um, hopefully soon. But I know there's a lot of new great stuff happening over at Lean. We'll talk about them in just a minute. But hey, if you're brand new here, welcome back to Freight 360. If you are... Did I say if you're new here? I might have messed that up. If you've been here for a while, welcome back. But if you're brand new here, welcome to Freight 360. We're glad you're joining us. we got so much content now. It's like over well over 100 episodes. We're closing in on our 100,000th download. Um, so we're going to do a little thing here. Um, here's what we want to do. In celebration of our 100,000 downloads, we're going to raffle off a free course. So leave us a review on iTunes. Um, leave us a comment on our YouTube vi- versions or videos or whatever. And what we're going to do at the end of the year, once we hit that 100K, we're going to raffle off someone. We're going to pick a comment, the best one, and we're going to give you a free course. How's that sound? With a free month of group coaching attached to it. So you can work with us for a month and get a dive into all the content we kind of put out there. So yeah. make sure keep pushing those reviews. Share us with your friends. And I will, I will say this too, if you're on the fence about our course, we did open up, I did this about a month ago, the first video in there uh, is a free preview. You can see it on YouTube anyway. Uh, it basically gives you an outline of the whole course and a little bit of uh, insight into each each module and what we cover. It's very, very comprehensive, a lot of good content in there. Um, and, and by request, we also did open up a um, payment plan option so you can break it up over two or three months if you want to so make sure to check out the course there's always a link in the description notes for uh, for the freight broker basics course so um, I did want to give a shout out to lean sorry Trey couldn't make it today but obviously as you get to year end and you're planning for 2022 if you're looking at hiring definitely take a look at lean solutions group they've got a great nearshore staffing model with their offices I think they, I think they're up to like five now down in South America. Trey was telling us um, earlier this week they have you know, record numbers of um, their customers now that they're working with and helping them grow their company, and which in, you know, in return is record number of employees for their company now. So good stuff. Check them out at leangroup.com. Um, quick little sports recap. Well, I, I guess today's episode, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of stuff that's going on in the market. There's not a specific topic necessarily today on you know training on a certain brokering tool or anything like that, but we're going to want to educate you guys on what's going on in the market to help you better understand what your customers are facing and what your carrier group is um, is working with as well and what they're dealing with. So, um, but yeah, let's get a little sports recap in here. Um, I'm going to get the bad news out of the way first. The Bills are on a two-week losing, or yeah, two-week losing streak right now. Two-game losing streak, whatever you want to call it. It's a hell of a game um, this Sunday. I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, I will say, um, you know, the Bills been able to come back in the second half of that Sunday football game in Tampa Bay to tie it up, go to overtime. And then I don't know. I'm, I'm going to first I'm going to blame the coaching staff for the Bills for putting the Bills where they were. Uh, I'm going to give Josh Allen props for bringing the Bills back. And then I'm going to get pissed off at the refs for a bunch of missed uh, penalties. But you know what? 
it is what it is. I sound like a, a salty, sour Bills fan that played against Tom Brady. But, it, hey, it is what it is. Like, there's there's pictures of, I don't know if you saw, like, the Stefan Diggs play where the guy literally had his shirt and, like, was dragging it, like, feet behind him. Not a holding call, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw someone made a meme and, like, photoshopped, like, the dude was uh, jet skiing. Or not jet skiing, water skiing behind Off Stefan Diggs. <laughs> like, holding on to him or whatever. <laughs> But uh, anyway, the AFC, you know, it's t- it's tight. The Bills somehow still hold a wild card spot. They've got a pretty light end of the season, um, playing the Panthers on Sunday at home. Um, still got the Jets, um, got Atlanta, but there's the Patriots game still. So there's four games left for for everyone. Um, Steelers, you guys aren't in a playoff spot, but you're in the hunt, man. I mean, the, this just goes to show the AFC right now. There's a lot of teams with seven wins, and the Steelers are right behind that group with six. So if you finish strong, you never know, man. That win in week one over the Bills might be your saving grace. So the it also could be the one that, that hurts the Bills, but who knows? Um, that's enough for, for NFL. I, I, don't, I don't have the emotion today to no go in any further depth on the subject. Well, taking uh, the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of DAT, if you're listening to this on Friday, hopefully you also joined us on Wednesday for our uh, webinar, which is all about growing your business in 2022. If you didn't get a chance to watch it, there will be a recorded version. We'll be able to get a link on our website. So stay tuned for that. Super excited. We're actually we're going to be doing that shortly after this podcast recording. So nice little Wednesday here for us. Um, all right. So... I tried to take today's content and summarize it into like three bite-sized chunks, and that's the port congestion, um, capacity, what it's going to look like in the coming year, and then year-end, okay? So I did a lot of a lot of reading the last few days. I read a lot of articles, and I know you, were, you mentioned something that you read as well. Here's something interesting. We all know the ports are backed up. We all know why the ports are backed up, right? Demand mm-hmm. went up. And the, all the manufacturers were shut down last year, and it, it caused a bottleneck in the supply chain. It's kind of like that ripple effect, right? So interesting article from Freight Waves. There's Halloween costumes. Halloween costumes, right? Something you would have bought two months ago that are just now arriving at the ports in California. That blows my mind. So anyone that wanted to dress up this year as, you know, whatever, right? Maybe you can do it for New Year's. I don't know. (laughs) So we were going to have, I was talking to Matt Schrapp. He is the, I think he's the president of the Harbor Trucking Association. They're a group out in LA and they're, I mean, he cited a lot in a lot of different periodicals, Freightways, Bloomberg on this topic. And I was talking to him recently about what's going on. And even though they are increasing the capacity, they're increasing hours and all these things, 
still we're limited by a lot of the things that the industry just needs, right? Like, yes, they're bringing in more imports, but guess what? Now they have tens of thousands of empties they can't get returned into the port, which are, by the way, sitting on the same very chassis that you need to go get out more imports, right? So yeah. even when you open up one of it, like it's so integral, our entire supply chain, and so many things are dependent on others that even when you pull one lever and open this one up, like, you still need other assets and other resources that are tied up in other ways. So it's not just this clear black and white, hey, we're gonna increase capacity and we're gonna see more cargo. And unfortunately, and he was even cited in there, mentioned a few people, like they are doing unprecedented things to ease this, um, things that have never been done, never considered that are positively impacting it. But at the end of the day, like, all of it, the entire global supply chain is having hiccups everywhere. Even getting the empties back to China and getting them loaded in China to get them back here is an issue because yep. they're also seeing Omicron, the variant, and they're seeing possible more shutdowns on their side of the supply chain. Yeah, it's so, so it's interesting. Um, if, you, if you look at the shutdowns when, when COVID first blitzed the United States last year, right? That would be like your earthquake. And what happens when you have an earthquake offshore in the ocean? It's followed by a tsunami. And that tsunami effect is, I feel like, what we've been experiencing like the last six months, right? It's that ripple effect. The waves finally come in and they blast us. And now, you know, everything's reopened. People want to buy stuff. Demand has gone up. And now we're getting all this congestion at the ports. And something that it blew my mind, I, I flew to Indianapolis for a wedding um, a couple weeks ago, and I, I had a layover in Newark, in New Jersey. And coming, if you've ever flown into Newark, if you look out the window of the plane, if you're on the, the right side of it, um, or in my case, the left side of the plane, you could see the port of, in Newark there. And it just, it, it reminded me of how massive and complex of an operation it is to manage a port and all that throughput. It, it, they're humongous, and there is, there's so many containers, so many chassis. Just the lines for, for trucks to get in and out of there was insane. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's something that people often, you know, we get our, you know, we get our perspective from the reports on the news and stuff like that and pictures online, but if you actually get a chance to see a port with your own eyes, it will blow your mind. So they're little cities. They're, and they're not even little. Yeah. Like, they are oh, yeah. small cities, and yep. it is just massive amounts of containers and cargo moving throughout that system, honestly, 24 hours a day. But they're all so, dependent, again, on resources outside of that, right? Yes. Like how many drivers, how many chassis, and getting these because getting also space in the terminals. And I, was on, I, had, a, I had a call with a couple of folks at one of the shipping lines, like CMA, MSC, some of the big shipping lines this week. And they were yeah. telling me the same thing, like they're having issues with congestion amongst the terminals within the United States network because you're pushing so much cargo that they need access to rails to get exports out and imports in, right? And they're like unprecedented, like they're just changes, disruptions, because we're doing different things with different volumes in different areas that it's just causing bottlenecks everywhere all of the time. So you mentioned rail, which is interesting. Um, I did read a stat the other day um, that goes to show you how much intermodal has been relied on more so recently than it has in the past. So we use this stat about you know the percentage of products that you use every day, right? How many of them were transported on a long haul truck um, right now? And so this is long haul. This, this is not just trucks in general, but long haul, like your cross country full truckload or LTL stuff. It's it's down to like seventy something percent now, 
where it – and I feel like the stat we gave before was closer to like 90, right? Um, and so the rest of that's going on either short haul truck or on rail now to go cross country. So that goes to show you the the way that we've tried to change – our mindset and our operation to make the supply chain a little bit more efficient. So um, I do want to talk about capacity and, um, you know, we talk about people say there's a driver shortage, right? And we need 100,000 more drivers to fix the supply chain. Um, And I thought to myself, I was like, well, okay, is is our driving workforce working efficiently as they stand right now? And I, I saw this statistic this came from the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics, right? So they're they're semi-smart people at a at a minimum, right? MIT, they're, yeah. they're intelligent, right? So here's the stat, right? We know that the FMCSA allows drivers to operate for up to 11 hours a day inside of a 14-day window, right? That's your your hours of service. Um, plenty of good content on that broken down in our course, and you can just Google it too. It's on FMCSA's website now. Out of those 11 eligible hours per day, the average long-haul full truckload driver is spending an average of six and a half hours per day actually driving. That is a 40% underutilization. Now, yes, there's a lot of variables that go into that. We can't just force everyone to drive 11 hours a day. Not every lane and not every load will have a driver or require a driver to haul that much, but it does show an inefficiency in the utilization of drivers. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, there's tons of inefficiencies. There's also this piece of the ebb and flow. That's why we have a job, right? (laughs) Yeah. And there's also the ebb and flow aspect of what happens. As it more cargo comes in and then it comes down, it does not move consistently, right? And you and I have talked about this a lot um, in regards to the cargo that I've moved in the past. Like I've done a lot of work with freight forwarders and intermodal and container moves. That's what I did, you know, towards the end and what I did a lot at TQL and like I can tell you, even recently, right? I still talk to a lot of these folks in the industry. I talked to a lot of these drivers, the carriers I'd worked with, but also the shipping lines. And I, let me tell you what just happened since Thanksgiving with people that I've talked to in the market. So you had lists that the the shipping lines had at rail terminals around the country that were upwards of six, seven, eight hundred containers that were in demurrage. That means you have a list of in some cities eight hundred containers being charged $200 a day because they can't get them out, right? We oh, ran yeah. numbers on it. I mean, you're talking like almost into like seven, eight figures a month in storage that is being paid because they can't get them out. So the money's there, the incentive's there to get them out, right? But there wasn't enough drivers. And you're talking all summer, all fall, right? So I have guys I was talking to that were running almost 24 hours a day, literally just working through these lists and more coming in, working through this list come up to Thanksgiving, the rail terminals around the country were starting to prioritize other things, getting some exports out, getting other things out. So as those things worked through, you had this massive bill and this massive need for trucking capacity right around Thanksgiving. They cleared through most of that in some of the cities. But then what happened was the rail terminals then started prioritizing other cargo. So you have drivers, right? that have been geared to run these certain types of, we'll call them like crosstowns from one rail line to the other rail line in Memphis and these other cities, right? What happened was running full speed. We need more trucks. We need more trucks. We need to work on this bill, right? All of a sudden work through the list and then there's nothing. It's a drought. 
And then the steamship lines are going, we are supposed to have cargo for you guys to move, but we can't get it here because the rails are prioritizing other cargo. So you have this massive need that everybody talks about, but then what you have for two, three weeks at a time, sometimes a month, drivers literally sitting on their hands because the type of work that they've been doing isn't available. And that's also this ebb and flow through our supply chain that people think it comes in like consistently, like drip, 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 and it really doesn't. It comes in like in waves, then people are overwhelmed, and then something else comes in in waves, and then there's this ebb and flow that really changes a lot of things and forces an open market. So this is this is really, really good to talk about because normally we talk about the small, we talk about a lot about like the, you know, the microeconomics of, of logistics, right? Like the spot market does, you know, how much will the customer pay to get a truck right now versus if they wait a couple of days, right? Now we're talking about the macroeconomics of logistics, right? The big picture of supply chain, all the things that impact it, right? I feel, I mean, I went to college over 10 years ago, but I feel like that was a good analogy of economics with micro and macro uh, yeah, to logistics. Right. Hope I did that right. But it's a, it's a good way to take a step back and look at it from that 40,000 foot view, right? You get a way better, um, you know, I guess a concept, you, you get a better picture of uh, what you're dealing with. So, but here's a good um, point. I think a good takeaway before we kind of move on from this is yes, we're talking about the international side of things, but these things feed the domestic side and they also impact domestic. Even if your product is grown, manufactured, and used in the United States because you're using the same resource, transportation, right? And very few shippers that I've seen ship consistently every day, every week of the entire year. There are seasons, right? Ebbs yep. and flows. You have, booms, they have manufacturing cycles, production cycles, all that. Right. You have booms and busts throughout the entire economy. And you see this more the smaller your customer is, right? Because you're impacted more because they don't have as many loads to distribute it across, right? Like if you're working with a larger company, yes, they still have this, but as a carrier, you won't see that ebb and flow because it's way above whatever you'll take, right? If you are moving 20% of the freight for a company and you have a peak season and a low season, you might see all of your profit over a five, six month period and maybe nothing. You might see 10% of the, the business you were doing the rest of the year and then it peaks. So when we talk about why it's important to always be prospecting, this is what we're trying to help you plan for. It yep. always happens. You're always going to be needed more during the peak. You're going to be needed a little less just because of the nature of the spot market and the downturns. That's why you always got to be filling that hopper and making sure you've got predictable work to build your book of business and your income on. There's a, <clears throat> there's a healthy balance between having a niche and having a diversified book of business, right? Yep. You can have a niche, but still generalize it enough that you've got you're, you got your hands in different parts of that industry or that niche that allow you to have year-round freight. Um, so just some little, little bite-sized take-home food for thought right there. I, another couple things I wanted to talk on with capacity, right? So to in order, the average age of a truck driver right now is 55. I think we've talked about that before. Now, um, in the last presidency, the Trump administration signed a bill to allow um, veterans or military National Guard reservists that are um, basically doing that, the commercial truck driving version, but on the military side, so driving you know big oversized vehicles, allowed them at age 18 instead of the normal 21, um, as long as they have the proper experience and training that they would be allowed to drive. Now, what uh, Biden's administration has put into the new bill as well, this is the infrastructure bill, is to allow, open up that 18-year-old age um, requirement 
to everybody with a caveat. They want to do, if you're 18 to 20, you can have a trucking company have an apprenticeship program where you're not just go get your license, take a test, and you're good to go. They want you in some sort of apprenticeship program, typical or you know similar to like um, any of the common trades or right. skills yeah, that are out there, like plumbers yeah. or you know, you know, welders, Super things degree. like that. And I, I, it's it's a creative way in my mind to uh, to go about trying to have some positive impact on um, capacity overall. It's you know we're trying to tap into more people. The question is, how many eighteen year olds are going to want to drive a truck? I, I, I honestly I don't know. There there might be more of a you know when people see hey instead of going to college and possibly racking up student debt, I can just go right away, probably get a sign on bonus, learn how to drive a truck, and make a lot of money. Well, I think so that's it might biggest, be enticing to folks. And I think at least it starts getting the timeline a little better, right? I agree with the age. I, I think there is really good rationale for why you can't rent a car until you're 25, why you don't drive you know, tractor trailers until you're older. And to be honest, we know our brains aren't fully developed until you're 25. Like you're still a child at 18. You're still a child at 19. Yes, we've agreed that you can go to war and vote and all these things, but we know unequivocally your brain is still developing. You make less ideal choices. You make less sometimes safe choices until you are a little bit older for a lot of reasons, right? Yeah. But I do and that's think- That's why I think the apprenticeship thing's great. Yes, and I think it also solves the second problem, which is to your point, if I'm 18 or 19 and I've gotta make a decision, I literally can't go into trucking at 19 years old. So my other options are this other trades or college. Well, if you pick college and it doesn't work out, it's very hard to come out and then drive a truck and pay off your college debt because they're just, the, in, the wages in the trucking industry haven't gone up with the cost of living over the past 40 years. So I think that was also preventing a lot of younger people from going, hey, I'm 60 grand in debt or whatever the number is coming out of college, I can't really drive a truck because I'll never get out of this, right? And I think this helped Agreed. align that age with the right, you know, kind of incentives to get people involved in the industry, get them exposure, experience, working in it, whether they're driving, riding along, or even just working in an office and learning about the industry. Yeah, I think it's a great I, benefit. It's, uh, it's. I think if if there's a, enough exposure and publicity on the the trucking side of logistics, which I I think that's where we're headed right now. With it's it's all over the news. It has been for for a long time now. Um, It'll plant that seed in more people's brains as they're getting towards their decision of what to do after high school. And I'll tell you, I, I drove trucks in the army, and not for me. I'll tell you right now, like I, I, it wasn't my job, right? But I, I was a commander for a distribution company, and we had some very large trucks, whether they were tankers that hauled bulk fuel or um, would bring palletized, uh, basically like a. a flat chassis type thing up onto them. Um, but they're big and they're intimidating. And if you don't get a lot of time behind the wheel and behind the stick, um, it's a it's a huge safety concern. So I could tell you that it's not for everyone. And it's definitely not for me. Um, but I think there are folks out there that when they, you know, between the supply chain issues being in the limelight and then the student loan crisis being in the limelight, that might be a perfect storm for uh, the younger generation to consider, hey, maybe I want to look into driving a truck. And the the thing that's great now is think back like 10, 20 years ago, you had to pay to go to a driving school. Now companies are giving you a sign on bonus and they want to put you through their own training, which I personally love because they don't have to 
fix bad habits from a driving school, they're going to train you themselves. When I worked at Conway Freight, we didn't take people that had previous CDL experience or driving school for the most part. We wanted to hire people with no experience, put them through Conway's driving school and give them a job. Um, so, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that. So interesting stuff on um, driver age and all that. I want to talk, you want to talk anything else before we hit rates? Because the rate thing blew my mind. Yeah, no, we can transition from there. So, so this is um, a lot of a lot of cool tools on DAT that we um, have. You know, we don't have all the time to highlight every single tool that DAT's got on their load boards. But uh, if you're a, a rate view user, right? It's a it's an add-on to like a DAT Power or something like that. Um, rate view is where you get a lot of like your historical rates, your three-day average rates, things like that. They also have regional, state-to-state, and national averages across the board. Uh, month to month for different modes or different equipment types like van reef or flatbed. So I took a look at this and I encourage you if you have a rate view license, hop on there, go to the uh, the national uh, average tab and just kind of look at the trend. It's obviously it's gone up across the board over the last 12 months, um, but you can compare the average rates for broker to carrier and the average rate for shipper to carrier. So people often think, well, you know, brokers are going to cost more than carriers, you know, all the time because it's one more person and they got to make a margin. It's not necessarily the case. So let's start with van, right? Your, your typical dry van shipper to carrier average is $2 and 97 cents a mile. And that's up from, you know, a couple of years ago, it was two bucks a mile. But right? think about Last that, right? year, I think it was like two fifty. Mm-hmm. but two ninety seven a mile shipper directly to the carrier. Brokers are only a penny higher at 298, right? So we're basically the same. So that goes to tell you right there, that statistic tells you that, you know, if you're working directly with a carrier versus a broker, you're not, there's no, there's not an advantage to going direct with an asset based company than having a broker. I will make it clear. That's just an average, right? Brokers have access to the entire market. So question though, right? So that shows the rate from the shipper to the carrier. They are paying two ninety seven a mile. This shows that a broker is paying almost the exact same thing to a carrier. But remember, yeah. from the shipper's point of view, if they get that truck from the broker, that number doesn't include the margin that they're going to pay the broker for that truck, right? That just shows. Again. This shows that the broker is going to pay a carrier the same yeah. as a shipper. But if a yep. shipper was to get that truck from the broker, they would still pay an additional margin on that two ninety eight a mile. So there would it doesn't yes. factor in them, but it does show that they have the same purchasing power. The yes. the freight brokers and the shippers. Yep. Which isn't exactly. always the same. Yeah, for sure. You're gonna have your margin in there too. Mm-hmm. You're you know, ten, fifteen percent, whatever it is. Um and you get a better selection of available carriers, right? And You're going to have better access to the timing of when that truck's available, the quality of that truck, all that stuff. Now let's look at flatbed. This one, and this is the first time I've ever seen this. Shipper to carrier, $3.33 a mile. Broker to carrier, $3.03 a mile. It's $0.30 cents cheaper for a carrier for a broker to hire a truck on average right now than it is for a shipper to hire a truck on average. And this is for flatbeds. And why is that? Why do you think that is? Dude, I, we talked about this before and I think you got more insight than I do. I don't I don't know. I was scratching my head, but you got you you did a little more research yourself. Well, What'd you find out? Well, this is from our friend Dean Croak. We've had on the show a full a few times. He put out a great article I shared through our LinkedIn. It's the the article is flatbed demand begins cooling for the winter. So there are two fundamental things that are happening. The load volume 
for open deck always slows down in December because building, the winter, for all of the normal reasons that you would kind of think, right? So weekly load volumes and spot rates are down on three times as many lanes as they are up, even though some markets are reporting tighter capacity, mostly the Christmas tree areas, the Pacific Northwest and whatnot. Now here's the interesting piece. Under spot rates, the building and construction industries took advantage of unseasonably warm weather in the last few weeks, creating a short-term flurry in flatbed activity. Load post volumes are currently 52% higher compared to the same time last year and three times higher than 2018. So the biggest thing these numbers tell me, shipper to carrier shows you is, or is usually indicative of the contract market, longer term contracts, right? Shippers don't usually book trucks in the spot market. So 333 is about what they were paying but we know the load volume went down in contracts because it's December. So you have these contracted carriers that are now available because there's just less work, right? But what you see on the other side is those guys, since they don't have loads, are going to the spot market to get them. And since there are more loads in the spot market because all the construction companies, the lumber companies that are trying to catch up on the housing, they are pushing loads into the spot market. So these drivers that aren't running dedicated because their customers' volumes down in December are going to the brokers to get work and they're competing with each other. So they're willing to do it for less because they don't have another option. Their customers aren't shipping right now. So is the takeaway for the listeners, prospect flatbed or open deck right now? Well, it is. And it's always realizing <laughs> yeah. people say like, why would, don't lie. And they go, well, why would I prospect? It's right before Christmas. These people aren't really shipping because like, these things only give you a portion of the context, right? The rest of the context is there is a ton of opportunity if you are prospecting somebody that has a lot of flatbed loads right now or a lot of spot loads that were unexpected or that they're catching up from from November that they just couldn't get out for whatever reason. So there is tons yep. of opportunity no matter where you are. Absolutely. Um, closing up on this one is reefer. Um, reefer is where I expected it to be. The shipper to carrier is $3.09 a mile. Broker to carrier is $3.42 a mile. So it's about, what is that, 33 cents higher as a broker. Uh, and that is what we normally see. We normally mm -hmm. see broker to carrier is going to be more expensive because it. think about it. The spot market, shippers tend to pay more money when they have their freight in the spot market versus when it's contracted or when it's bid out. Right. So less that time. is normal. Right. I, I don't have the answer as to why that one's normal and the other ones aren't. But. Well, less time, right? So when you have less time, you have more risk. So you you have to pay more, right? Same thing when you're waiting to last minute, right? That's why you tend to see higher rates in the spot market. But to your point, like they're inverse on flatbeds. And the other thing about prospecting flatbeds, like your margin's already built into there. If you can pay 10% less than your customer for the same thing they need, like you only have to charge a five or 6% margin for you to be really profitable and them to get a win. It's literally a win-win yep. right now if you've got prospects lined up that you've been working on that are in the flatbed market. And I, I know you already kind of hit on it, but I, I don't want to fly past the, the flatbed thing. So just think about the commodities that are shipped on an open deck trailer, like a flatbed, right? We, we use the, the um, very vague term of building materials, but think about this, brick, stone, lumber, steel, things that are used to construct shingles, any kind of drywall. building. Shingles, drywall, <laughs> lumber. Houses are being built windows. like there's no tomorrow right now. People are doing renovations on their houses like it's insane. It's crazy right now, right? 
the economy's in a boom. We understand that. Um, and for that reason, things are getting transported on flatbed more often because they're going to be used to build stuff. So, interesting. Um, all right. Here's a bit of news that happened. And a buddy of mine sent me that. I had already seen it, but he sent me this. And um, So, let's get into it. Central Freight, right? They're at... So they are an LTL company that operates primarily in the southern part of the country. Um, not to be confused with Central Transport, which is another LTL company, Central Freight. All right. They mostly, like I said, southern part of the U.S. They don't operate in the northeast at all or the northwest. Um, but they shut down. They had so much uh, debt. They just weren't being profitable for quite a while. And eventually um, they just said, we're, we're going to shut our doors, laid off, you know, 2,000 some drivers right before Christmas, awful story. And a buddy of mine sends it to me and I'm like, you know what? There's not a chance in the world that some other company doesn't come and scoop them up because if you, and I I personally thought a brokerage was gonna buy up um, an LTL company, kind of like XPO did, right? When they got yeah. Conway Freight, um, ends up Estes, another LTL company, was the one that came in and offered to snatch up all their drivers and all their equipment. And I, they're gonna do that a steal, right? So think about this, right? So if Central Freight can sell off their assets to Estes at just enough to clear their debts, right? And just close the doors. And then they can hire all these employees, all the drivers up and say, hey, you're going to basically um, do the same thing. You're just going to have a different employer now. It's kind of a win-win for everybody. Central gets their debts cleared. Um, Estes gets a hell of a deal on cheap equipment. And now they've got way more capacity, which makes them a more competitive LTL carrier. What are your thoughts? So I, I read through that too. It was interesting was they were trying to find a buyer to buy the whole company, I think for about the past year or two. And they had a lot oh, of people, that. yeah, they had a lot of people interested, but they, nobody was interested in the whole thing. And I haven't gone through their balance sheet or looked at the actual books. I'm guessing it's probably a function of there was probably more debt than the assets were worth and they couldn't roll it in. They, I also read they haven't decided on whether there'll be chapter seven or 11. So whether it's reorganization or shutdown. But I think the big takeaway when I see this is one, I mean, at least they, it seems like they did it in a stand up way. They didn't do it like, what was it? Celadon that kind of like recently still not have people on the road still literally people on the road and just said leave your yeah. trucks there leave your keys in it and we'll just get it just kind of so i mean kudos to the way they handled it but i would say the other interesting thing is like when you see these bankruptcies or any trucking companies that go out of business and we haven't seen one in a long time for obvious reasons so probably the first one since celadon yeah. a couple years ago and like these drivers are gonna go somewhere else. The assets, there's such a need for the assets. They'll be utilized. They're gonna go over, like you said, Estes is gonna get a steal on it. Um, and hopefully the drivers and all the employees, or at least the vast majority of them, hopefully they find a new home. I can tell you, everybody is trying to hire for these roles. So I'd be hard pressed to believe that anybody there couldn't find a position in the next yep. month, give or take. I agree. So to, to, deep, to dig deeper into what you said, how they did it in a better way, a more stand-up way, um, Celadon, like you said, leave the keys in the truck and um, we'll, we'll, you know. They didn't even tell people. Like, they were like finding out through text messages, drivers on the yeah, road. Yeah, they, like, they found out through a text or they woke up and got a message on their ELD or whatever. So what Central did was they announced it, they gave an end date, and they put on their website this week that as of, I think it was this Monday, the 13th, they were no longer going to be picking up customer freight, but they promised to deliver everything that was in mm -hmm. their network already. Yeah. Right. So they're still going to be delivering freight throughout the next week or two until everything is fully at its destination. 
Um, everyone will get back to their home domicile, and that, that's it, right? It's terrible timing right around the holidays for these folks that are employed there, but at least they, you're right. They did it in a, in a better way that, you know, gives them a little bit of grace. So, interesting. Um, we did want to talk about hiring in 2022. I wanted to talk to Trey about that. He's not, obviously not on here. Do you have any anything you want to hit on with uh, getting into the new year before we um, get into our Q&A section? No, I think, I mean, now's a good time of year. You should be, if you are in a lull, take advantage of it, right? Whether it's lead generation. I mean, if you've got time in between whatever you're doing, your customers are slow, take advantage of that. Take advantage of the time in between Christmas and New Year's. Putting leads together, putting prospecting lists together. Um, make some of these calls to the areas that you feel are going to be most successful. But like, it's a really important time because there aren't many periods where you have this breathing room where you're going to be able to do this and not have to pay an opportunity cost, right? Where you're not doing something else that is pressing. I would tell everyone out there that now's the time you should really be looking at whether or not you finished this year where you wanted to, what the bigger things are that you want to get accomplished next year, and then start digging into how you want to get there, right? Because if you don't yep. sit there and chart the course for where you want to be, no one's going to come and do it for you. Yeah. Um, a, a goal without a plan is it's like basically just a wish, right? Yep. <laughs> like it's, you have, there's no, there's no direction of how you actually want to do that. Um, so yeah, this is a definitely a great time to do it. Um, well, cool. Let's give a shout out to our friends over at Rose Rocket. Obviously we had Rob on last week um, and then we'll get into our Q and A. Modern trucking companies need modern software. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, manual processes and contentious phone calls with your partners or customers asking where their freight is. With the Rose Rocket TMS, you can automate every part of the order, from automated order entry to self-serve quoting to advanced dispatching and on-demand track and trace. Rose Rocket makes running your business easier and more efficient. Visit the link in the episode notes to get the best price and learn how the Rose Rocket TMS can streamline your business operations. I don't want to skip past the fact that, remember Rob talked about their freemium, freemium. version. Yep. And I didn't know that before he came on. Um, but yeah, they have... Uh, you know, similar to like Ascend, right? They got the free option so you could try it out. Not a bad way to kind of compare apples to apples and see which one you like better, right? Yep. So check them out. All right, Q&A. We've got three questions here. Uh, first one this comes from one of our listeners. He wrote to us and said, new broker here. I started about a month ago and I'm having trouble finding shippers. I try to switch my approach on cold calls, do research before the calls, switch the verbiage in my emails. I'm getting past the gatekeepers, but not finding much luck. Is there any advice you'd be willing to share? I greatly appreciate it. So we get this question a lot and I'll let you give your insight, but it, really what this comes down to is just your amount of activity. You are going to have, you're gonna to be told no a lot more than you're gonna to be told yes, or sure, or maybe. And it's a matter of just keep doing it. If you, if you do 100 calls a day when you're in that phase, you're going to probably get like, you know, 80 that don't even answer. You'll probably get 10 no's, um, five objections that might be wishy-washy. Uh, but you're probably going to get a couple that go good. And sure, at first, you might fail on all 100 because you just haven't fine-tuned it. But it sounds like he's figured out his – he's found his voice in his calling – He's figured out his verbiage in his emails. He's doing his research, but he's getting no's. It's a numbers game, in my opinion. What do you think, Ben? 
Yep. I did this with one of our clients yesterday. We blocked out some time and I made cold calls with them to see exactly what was going on, hear it, and to kind of work through some best practices. And I'm gonna go through just the things that we covered yesterday because I think that they'll help this listener out a lot. One, your goal when dialing is that and only that. Dial to reach people, right? I'll try, the second thing is to try to eliminate all inefficiencies. Your leads should be prepared before. Why? So you can call through them quicker, by far. Second thing, don't stop to research in between calls. All of those stops to go and look other random things up all eat into this. So if you're trying to make even 80 or 100 calls a day, even 50, right? That extra two minutes per call, 50 calls, that's an extra two hours of wasted time. Yep. Do that in a separate time. The next thing, because to Nate's point, he's exactly right. Like it's statistics. We need more at bats to be able to hit more home runs, more on base, right? We just got to get to the plate more to swing more, right? So you're eliminating the research in between calls. You should be eliminating leaving voicemails in a lot of cases, because especially if you've left one already, they're not effective no matter what you are. You leave them occasionally when you've got something really you wanna say or to get them to call you back, but the most part, that's an extra minute and a half to two minutes on top of every call with very low effectiveness anyway. Eliminate those. You should be able to get up to 20 to 25 calls per hour. So this number of 100 isn't eight hours of dialing endlessly and meandering through phone calls all day. You should be able to block out like an hour and a half at a time, no more than 90 minutes, Put something in between your dialing sessions. And if you have three to four of those a day, you should absolutely be able to hit 80 to 100. That's going to help you get to the ones that you need to faster. It's like the old adage of, you know, finding a needle in a haystack. You're sorting through hay. Get there as quickly as possible. Dial the numbers faster. Make sure you have the next one queued up as you're hanging up this phone call, right? Like eliminating the little bit of time in between each one is what really compresses this and makes you way more effective at just working through the odds because that's that's it, man. You're just playing a lot of hands of poker. Yep. Get them as quick as you can. One of the things I like too, um, HubSpot, and I, I would imagine a lot of other CRMs have it, you can connect it to your phone where you click a button and yeah. your phone lights up or rings and then you just click answer and it dials a number. So it's like almost like a kind of like an auto dialer, but it's not. Um, but it, it saves you from having to like type it in and look at the screen and maybe you put the wrong number in. So little tip. All right, next question. Does anyone know of a valuation company for acquisitions or selling your agency? Um, two things here. Selling your agency. We've hit on this before. Tends not to work. When you're a freight broker, you own your job. You don't really, you're not, you don't really own a company, right? I mean, you do, but you own your job. So if somebody else steps in, you better hope that that book of business will transition to them. So check out our other content on how to transition your book of business or retire. We've got stuff on that. Um, as far as valuations for a company in general, I'm going to defer to whoever my accountant is to go ahead and do that because they're the numbers expert. What do you think? Here's the things I would throw out there, right? There are some like best practices I've picked up to where that line gets it, it starts as you've got a book of business or a customer. And as you add to that, right, you get closer towards like a diversified company, right? And that's really the line, right? So like if you've got one or two customers, why this is the case is because they like working with you. And to be honest, if you sold your book, the likelihood that they're going to work with a new broker or anybody else unless you are involved is pretty low. So that's why people tend not to buy these books of business because they're just very high risk and the likelihood they'll be able to retain the value you created without you 
is very small. Now, I will say there are things you can do to work towards that, right? So getting more customers is the first thing they're gonna look at. They wanna see that if they buy this organization or this going concern, your company, right? That there are enough customers that you could move people interchangeably into roles. And if you can do that, now you've got a standalone asset that has some value, right? Yep. But you've gotta have a really diversified book of business, a lot of different customer types, and a lot of accounts in there before it's going to be considered a standalone. And in business. my opinion, you've got to have employees too, and all you're going to yeah. be swapping out is who's the boss. So exactly, and that's right. it. You're, you've delegated everything. You are literally just 100%. now you've got a company that you can sell because it literally operates whether you're there or not. Yep. So defer to your accountant on the valuation. Um, typically, there are multiple of your net. Is it your net profit? Your they're both. It's either gross or net, and it's, it depends. Yeah, it's on the usually a, I would say like a multiple of the actual company's gross profit at the end of the day when everything's been paid. Yep. So like some companies will do like a, an EBITDA, right? Earnings yep. before interest, tax, depreciation. Yeah, you're the you're the, you're the finance guy. Yep. So, <laughs> but that's All basically right. your bottom line. It's the amount yeah, of cash you end up with after you've done business. So when somebody buys it, they want to know if I spend this amount of dollars for this asset. How many weeks, months, years do I need before I get paid back without yep. doing anything? Yep. What will my return on investment be? All right, yep. good stuff. Last question. Does anybody have experience with using load boards to find loads for Sprinter vans specifically? So this was asked by an actual carrier. We talked very specifically in our recent blog and video that there is no magical load board out there for brokers to use to find loads. But obviously, there's load boards out there for carriers to find posted loads. So in this case, Selectus. Um, I've personally used it at multiple companies. You have to be, you have to have an asset division or asset MC to be able to use it, which obviously this company is. Um, but it's uh, if you're a broker slash carrier, or if you're a broker that's already in Selectus, you're posting your uh, Sprinter van loads on there. And obviously Sprinter van carriers, they're going to have an asset authority. They can log on. It's really cool. Um, it's a very niche load board. And I think it's about 300 bucks a month or something like that. But a lot of cool, uh, a lot of cool stuff in there. A lot of good freight. So that's my that's my answer there. Um, sweet. 2021 coming to a coming to a close. Yeah, ahead. We got two more episodes this year. They'll be dropping on Christmas Eve and um, I guess New Year's Eve, right? That that be our next yeah. two Fridays. So uh, yeah, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. We're gonna have to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody. And then it's 2022. But sweet man, any it's been a great uh, year. anything we missed. No, I do want to remind everybody that we do have our Facebook page up. So if you haven't gone there, do us a favor, go ahead, like, share that with the community. We put a lot of our content out there. We've got other people putting other things out there. So lots of different sales tips and other things. If you guys haven't seen us, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Pretty much it. Cool. Any final thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. 
And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.